Tonight's scripture will be taken from Judges chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. On that day, Deborah and Barak, son of Abinoam, sang this song. When the princes in Israel take the lead, when the people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord. Hear this, you kings. Listen, you rulers. I, even I, will sing to the Lord. I will praise the Lord, the God of Israel, in song. When you, Lord, went out from Seir, when you marched from the land of Edom, the earth shook, the heavens poured, the clouds poured down water, the mountains quaked before the Lord, the one of Sinai, before the Lord, the God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned. Travelers took to winding paths. Villagers in Israel would not fight. They held back until I, Deborah, arose, until I arose, a mother in Israel. God chose new leaders when war came to the city gates, but not a shield or a spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. My heart is with Israel's princes, with the willing volunteers among the people. Praise the Lord. This is God's word. You may be seated. Everybody have an outline? All right, Judges chapter 4 and chapter 5, let's open our Bibles up and let's pray and let's jump into this text. Father, so many, so many things for us to, to think about tonight and to think about as we begin this week, but at the core of, of, of everything that we think about beginning tonight and for the rest of the week, we want you to be at the center. We ask you, Father, to bless us and to make us keenly aware of your presence in all that we do, not just when we come together and, and praise as your children your name and, and, and sing to you, Father, and, and pray to you in Mass and study the Scriptures together as, as family. We pray that, that even beyond that, Father, that, that this just be the beginning of what begins to be a God-saturated week for us as we go about our business and your business in this community. So we pray, Father, to, to be mindful of that and to be courageous and brave. We also pray, Father, to, to be very, very mindful of those areas in our life where we find tendencies to, to be weak in the face of temptation and to ask for strength and to be wary, Father, as we, we go about our business each day, knowing, Father, that there is not just this physical tangible world, but also an unseen world. Father, we, we ask as we study this text tonight for eyes to see it and ears to hear it in such a way that, that we're not only encouraged and enlightened, but changed. To this end, we ask You to bless us, Father, and we ask it all in the name of Your Son and our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Last time uh, we were together uh, and, and studying Judges, which was a couple of weeks ago, we considered the work in the life of Ehud, who was that left-handed man. And we talked about and considered all of the ways in which God uses the weak or the unexpected person to do His will. Uh, you'll remember that Ehud was involved in the assassination of Eglon the Moabite, who was a very fat man and delivered Israel from oppression. And they had peace in the land for about 80 years. And then he died... And guess what? Cycle starts all over again. 
Judges chapter 4, the verse, first three verses read, Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, now that Ehud was dead. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hatzor. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Haosheth Hagoyim, because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried to the Lord for help. Say that last phrase together. They cried to the Lord for help. Now this, in chapter 4, is where we're introduced to Deborah. She is a prophetess who teaches the Word of God. She is clearly recognized as a leader and a counselor of the people. The people come from all over to have her help them settle their disputes. She is not a warrior by any stretch of the imagination, but she is a ruler. Where Othniel was a warrior that led men into battle and Ehud had his assassination plans, Deborah is the ruler who leads with wisdom and character rather than with physical strength. And her story is interesting because it's told through the eyes in chapter 4. Her, her story is basically told in chapter 4 and chapter 5. Chapter 4, it's through the eyes of the historian. And through chapter 5, the eyes of the poet-theologian. And so what do the story and what does, what does the story and what does the song say about Deborah? Well, as we read, the people of Israel are oppressed for 20 years under Jabin, who is the king of the Canaanites. And what's ironic there is that this is a people oppressing the people of God that should have been driven from the land. But because of the half-hearted devotion to the will of God that we read about at the beginning of Judges, as Joshua dies, these people are now the oppressors. And there is this fellow by the name of Sisera. He is the general of Jabin's war machine that included about 900 chariots that are fitted with iron. And he is a brutal and cruel hombre. We are told also that he is involved in the ancient sex slave trade. Uh, at the end of Judges 5, there is a reference to uh, Sisera's mother who's waiting to see him return from battle, and she's anxious. And one of the servant girls tries to cheer her up by saying, Judges chapter 5, verse 30, at the end of this song, are they not finding and dividing the spoils, a woman or two for each man? Now, in the Hebrew, the NIV has, has cleaned it up a little bit, but the word woman in that verse should be understood a little bit more graphically as a wench or a slave girl. Somebody that was used for sexual purposes. And with all of these things that's happening with the Canaanites and with Jabin and with Sisera, Deborah has finally had enough. She's ready to act. She summons Barak, the son of Abinoam, and tells him in Judges 4, verse 6, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead them up to Mount Tabor. Now, there are a lot more tribes than this in Israel. In fact, in chapter 5, there's a reference to the 40,000 men in the army, but it's only 10,000 from the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulun. Then lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River, or the Kishon River, and give him into your hands. And Barak is very direct with Deborah. Okay, I hear what you're saying, but here's the deal. If I go, you go. If you don't go, I won't go. I will only go if you go with me. Now, when you read the commentators, they take this a couple of different directions. Negatively, or in a negative vein, because Barak is fearful rather than faithful, the honor for the victory is going to go to a woman. And that's, uh, that's what he's, he's saying there is seen as a lack of faith. There's a positive way to think about this as well. 
And you'll notice that there's, in verse 9, there's a, a footnote in the NIV where, but because of the way that you are going about this, the honor will be given to a woman, can also be translated as, but on the expedition you are going to undertake, the honor is going to go to a woman. A woman will get the victory. Now, quite frankly, I favor the positive reading of Barak as a hero. He is seen as a hero of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. After all of these people that have been mentioned as examples of faith and people that we should walk in the footsteps of, he says in chapter 11, verse 32, I don't have time to tell you about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets. Barak is, is a man that I think is acting in faith. He wants to take Deborah because she's the one who speaks God's Word. And who would not want to have the Word of God with them at all times? And not listening to the Word of God is why Israel is in the mess they're in presently. But Barak also knows that 10,000 men are no match for 900 iron chariots. And it's right here that we get the first lesson of Judges 4 and 5, that faith is God-following and not honor-seeking. You take 10,000 men, you go against the 900 chariots, you go against the enemy, you go against the seasoned general with your 10,000 men, and a woman is going to get, uh, somebody else is going to get the victory, they're going to get the credit. And Barak goes. Faith is, is God-following and not honor-seeking. Barak goes against an enemy that holds all the aces. 900 of them. And yet another will get the victory. But out they go, Deborah and Barak with 10,000 men to Mount Tabor and Sisera with his 900 iron chariots near the river Kishon. And the battle begins. But, before we go there, notice verse 11 is sort of inexplicable. I mean, we're, we're getting this, this build-up. It's, it's a build-up to battle. It's, it's the people are being oppressed. They cry out to God. Deborah comes. She is a ruler among the people. She is wise. There's a word from God that comes to her. She calls Barak. You have got to go and take on this army. I'm not going to go unless you go with me. And they begin to assemble, and battle is about to begin. But then verse 11. Now, Haber the Kenite had left all the other Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, Moses' brother-in-law, and pitched his tent by the great tree in Zaanaim near Kadesh. That's kind of nice to know, but what in the world? This passage just comes out of the blue. But we'll remember it later. It's foreshadowing, and now the battle ensues. Verse 14. Everybody's lined up. Go, this is the day that the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? Deborah says. Now, there is a lot of emotion in that statement, is there not? There's the imperative, go! It's time to go! Go, 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 go! There's the assurances of, Sisera has been given into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? Now, how in the world did she know that? How did she know that? I mean, one end of this, it could just be, you know, this bravado. You know, that she sees the opportunity. You know, there's... a uh, they're having a lunch break. It's time to attack. Go. Has not Sisera been given into your hand? The Lord's gone ahead of you. How did Deborah know this? Well, this is where chapter 5 and the poet theologian comes in, I think. Listen to this line from the Song of Deborah, Judges 5, verse 21. The river Kishon swept them away. The age-old river, the river Kishon, march on my soul, be strong. An interesting statement. And it brings up a question. Why would a seasoned general like Sisera 
place is 900 chariots near a river during a rainy season? The answer is he wouldn't. It is likely that the battle is taking place during the dry season, and that is why Sisera is confident about putting his war wagons near a river. And Deborah sees the flash flood that comes and wipes out all of the chariots. And this is where I think another lesson comes in. The eyes of faith look for the presence of God. Moses is, is another one who has to take on a force that is far larger than he. He leaves Egypt. He goes back to, to he, he leaves Egypt and he goes back to be used by God to rescue Israel out of slavery. And how is it that he's able to do it? How does he persevere? How does he find the bravery to continue to go on through all ten of those plagues? Hebrews 11 verse 27 gives us a hint. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. The eyes of faith look for the presence of God. Now, historically, this is not going to be the last time that the enemies of God are going to be defeated at the Kishon River. Think about 1 Kings chapter 18, where we have this contest between Elijah and the priests of Baal and Asherah. And you remember the story. They have this contest, Jezebel's prophets and prof, uh, of Baal and Asherah, the, the priests of, of Asherah and Baal, are going to have a contest with the lone prophet of God, Elijah. They do it uh, there at Mount Carmel. And in the vicinity of this area where this other battle is taking place. And what they do is, is, is call upon their gods to, 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 to bring lightning and fire from the sky to light the sacrifice. And you know how the story ends. It's Elijah that wins that contest. And then we have in 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 40, Elijah commands them, seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let any get away. They seized them and Elijah had them brought down to the where? Hishon to the Gishon Valley and slaughtered there. Some years ago, about, about 16, 17 years ago, I was at that very spot where you could stand on top of the hill, on top of Mount Carmel. It's not all that big of a... It's more of a hill than a mountain. It's like calling the hill country the mountain country. It's, you know, hills. And down below you is the Gishon Valley, and there below you is the Gishon River there at the bottom of the valley. The eyes of faith look for the presence of God. And in Judges 4, God is mentioned only four times. In Judges 5, God is mentioned all over the place. And there is God acting in a way that Deborah recognizes flash flood during the dry season that has captured and trapped these chariots and going to wipe them away and the entire army is going to be defeated. The army of Sisera is defeated, but Sisera is not there. Going back to chapter 4, verse 17, Sisera, the general, meanwhile, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. Oh, that's what that foreshadowing in verse 11 was about. He's there because there was an alliance between Jabin, the king of Hadzor, and the family of Heber the Kenite. All of a sudden, we recognize why they are mentioned all the way back in verse 11 in the middle of this, this build-up to a battle. It's not inexplicable at all. It's foreshadowing. This family and their tent play an important part in the story. Jael is the wife of Eber the Kenite as she meets Sisera. She invites Sisera to come in and to rest. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Gets him all comfy in the bed. He sort of lets his guard down. He asks for something to drink. What is it that helps you sleep when you have trouble sleeping at night? Warm milk. 
He asks for water to drink. She gives him some milk to drink, covers him up, tucks him in. And right before he falls asleep from fatigue of battle, he says to her, now stand in the doorway of the tent. If someone comes by and asks you, is anyone there? Say what? No. But Jael has other plans. Putting up and taking down tents were the part of the work of, of women. Women were in charge of, 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 of putting those tents up and, and, and taking them down. And knew, she knows, Jael knows her way around a hammer and a tent peg. And so she picks them up, the tent peg and the hammer, and she puts one of those tent pegs right through the temple of Sisera's head and drives it through his head into the ground where it sticks. And we're told, in case we don't understand, these three words, and he died. Now it gets graphic in the song of Deborah. In verses 26 and 27, her hand reached for the tent peg, her right hand for the workman's hammer. She struck Sisera, she crushed his head, she shattered and pierced his temple. At her feet he sank, he fell, there he lay. At her feet he sank, he fell. Where he sank, there he fell, dead. And so the last lesson I would suggest is that by faith, victory is won through weakness. I don't think anyone saw in advance how the victory over Sisera and his war machine would be won, although they knew that it was going to come in the end somehow through the hand of a woman. But the victories of God most of the time are surprising because they are done most unexpectedly. And 80 year old Moses goes back to Egypt. The walls of Jericho come down as the people merely march around the city. Not because of cannons. Because the people march around the city and they shout and they blow the trumpets. Young David brings down a giant. Thousands of people fed with a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish. And who would have thought that a Savior's death would bring about the resurrection life? That's why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the, intelligent, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate, where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this, this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know Him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs. Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. You know, there's really so much more to say about, uh, about Deborah and about Barak and the battle with Sisera and how God overcame all of the, the, the ways that, that humanity sees the odds stacked against them. But I think the primary lessons is that, or that, that, um, 
God chooses to do things in an unexpected way. Many times through what we would consider to be weak and what we would consider to be foolish. But it's by the eyes of faith that we look for the presence of God. It, it, it's looking for God by faith to act in whatever circumstances that we find ourselves. And sometimes, and most of the time maybe, even in the most unexpected, surprising ways. Who would have figured that 4,000 and 5,000 people on two different occasions in the Gospels would be fed by so few loaves and so few fish? What did everybody in the lines of Israel believe when they saw the young David, the short David, walking out against the, the nearly 10 foot tall Goliath? How did Moses feel when he walked into Egypt and saw the grandeur of a city that he had left 40 years earlier and now was being called to confront the most powerful man on the planet, the Pharaoh of Egypt, in order to release all of Israel that were enslaved, that was enslaved to Pharaoh and to his people, to bring them out and to make them a nation? The eyes of faith look for God in every circumstance to act. And faith is about God following and not honor seeking. When we are looking for God to act in our life and in our valleys and in our, our, our pits and in our caves and in our dark alleys, what we're really seeking is for God to do something that is great and, and something that is astounding and something that is, that is miraculous in our eyes in order to change our circumstance. And it's not about us getting the credit, but it's about God showing Himself to be glorious to His people. Jeff's going to lead us in a song right now. And maybe you've been struggling with a couple of these, these issues in your own life. Maybe, maybe you're wondering, you know, why isn't God showing up? Why isn't God acting? And maybe one of the things that we can do tonight is encourage you and pray with you. Or maybe one of the, the issues that you're dealing with in your life is that you realize that regardless of how hard you try to get yourself ready and spotless and sinless and right with God in order to get right with God, you realize that that's never going to happen. That as soon as you try not to sin, all the more you sin. Well, you know what the Gospel about is about? The Gospel is about the recognition that we will never get ourselves right. That we will never get ourselves in a position where we find ourselves being acceptable to God without His grace, without the sacrifice of His Son. And that the only way that there is going to be a transformation in our life is by becoming His child. By receiving the grace that forgives our salvation and brings us into His presence. And at the same time coming into His presence to receive His Spirit that is going to change us into the human beings that we were always intended to be. And not only that, giving a significant directional change in our life where we are called to participate in what it is that God is doing with His human project. And if that describes you tonight, we're going to have a couple of our shepherds down here at the front. They would love to talk to you about any or all of these things. And for the rest of us, let us stand and praise God together.